0: Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the way. Well, anybody wake up this morning with maybe a little identity crisis going? Well, well, if you did, I've got good news for you. God's got you covered. He always has ever since he made you. You know, our identity, who, who am I? That's always been a big issue for everybody. Our, our soul wants to know who we are. But we have certainly, the last several years, seen the word identity, seen the word identify kind of jump to the front of a national conversation. And whatever the reason or reasons for that is, again, good news, God's got us covered. God has an answer. Who am I? It, it is a big question. And I, and I think we wonder, hey, can it, can it be answered simply or does it always have to be a complex answer? Is, is there one answer or are there multiple answers? And the answer to all that is yes. It, it's, it's all of those things. You know, some of what our identity is or how we're maybe understanding that or answering that kind of depends on the context that I am, you know, or, or where I find myself, you know, I can look at myself. Who am I? Well, I'm, I'm Karen's husband, or I'm four kids dad. I actually say eight, eight kids dad. I claim all their spouses as mine. I'm not sure they claim me, but I claim them. Uh, I'm Papa, best identity of all. I'm Papa to three and number four is on the way. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter Amy's really excited that I'm announcing that. Uh, but we, we got number four on the way in October and a, a new opportunity to be to be Papa. Of course, you know, it's also, there's ways we can think of our identity in one place a little bit simply and another place a little more complex. Like in one place, I might just say, oh, I'm a pastor. In another place, no, I'm a pastor at the heights, some places need that further definition, other, other places don't. I can say, I'm a runner. I, I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm, I'm Randy. I'm Randy. All, all these different things more than likely would satisfy somebody asking a question about who I am. They're going to they're gonna satisfy you. But that's not really what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, do those answers satisfy me? Do they give me a sense of value? Do they give me a sense of purpose? Do do they give me what I need in in an identity where I get direction on where I go and what I do and where I don't go and what I don't do? Because I know who I am. You know, another way we're going to look at that question or, or wonder about our identity is where it comes from you know does who i am come from myself do i create my identity do i decide what i am or is my identity put on me does does society or or parents or does something someone put that identity on me. And we're not likely going to agree to that, that it's one or it's the other. It's a combination of both. Uh, There's not going to be a lot of agreement, but I'll I'll tell you something. I want to know, has a universal answer been given? Does does somebody have the ability to give a universal answer uh, uh, about our identities? You know, we talk a lot today. We hear a word. We didn't use this word when I was growing up, but we hear it a lot now. Social constructs. And a social construct is something that a, a society puts on a person. It may be based on their gender. It may be based on their ethnicity. Maybe we want that construct. Maybe we don't want that construct. You know, a real simple example of that would be like little boys play with G.I. Joes and little, little girls play with Barbies. That's a, that's a simple idea of a society putting an idea on somebody and again we're going to agree we're not going to agree or there's maybe a little bit of in between but but here again I don't I don't know if I want to know what society says because societies are right and societies are wrong and whether they're right or whether they're wrong they change anyway man how do I I, you know this is goes to my soul am I just trying to you know find something to, to nail it to to attach to when it's always moving and changing is somebody spoken to who I am with a little bit more permanence, a little bit more depth, a little bit more authority? And for you and I, I trust if you're here today or watching online, I assume a lot of us are going to say, yeah, I, I believe somebody has spoken that. Our designer has spoken to that. Let's see what he said. Would you turn with me today to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And while you're turning there, you may also want to find Psalm 139, because when I get done with verse 28, I'm going straight to Psalm 139. So you want to find both of them. While you're finding these passages, hey, if you're new to our church or maybe hadn't been here in a little while, just so you'll understand kind of the context of where you've landed, we're in a series right now in Genesis. This is our Our fourth week already in Genesis. And you say, you're still in chapter 1? Yeah, we're kind of plodding at the moment. There's some places we'll pick up speed. But we are going to be in Genesis for a while. As a matter of fact, probably up to and around Thanksgiving. So we're doing a long study of this great book. But today, Genesis 1, let me begin in verse 26. It says there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, make a lot of babies. Well, actually, what it says is be fruitful and multiply. But you know what that means? Make a lot of babies. Like Fill the earth up. That's when God said, Stop. When the earth is full of babies, you can be done. And subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Okay? Now flip over to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Let's. I want to put kind of three ideas, three thoughts, three simple observations on the table. Let's just get these three things on there, and then we'll we'll start to dig a, a little bit deeper. So the first one is God made me in His image. Okay, whatever I need to understand, want to understand about an identity, who I am, where I came from, why I'm here. Man, I I, I need to look at God not just because He's the Creator, not just because He's the designer. But because I was made in the pattern of him. So I'm going to get some clues there by looking to him. Number two, there's something particularly male and female about me understanding and living out the image of God. You know, folks, that number two there, I hope we can hear that today and not think that's a political statement. I hope we can hear that today and not think it's a jab at a certain individual or a group of people. That was 3,500 years ago when that was written. And it seems this passage is, you know, it starts by saying, hey, God created man. And that word would be interpreted people, humanity. And when it says God created people, we get it. That includes all of us, right? We're all, we're all people, But it goes a step further and says, well, no, 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 no. It's not just that I created people. I want you to know I created people as a male and as a female. There seems to be something purposeful in how God elaborates and takes that next step. Number three, number three, God creating us is not just God making Adam and Eve and then stepping back and letting nature take its course, you know, the, the rest of you will get here in time. No, folks, God formed you. God knew you, made you, had a plan for you in the womb. Man, God is intimately, intricately involved with the creation, the making of every single person. And what do we learn about every single person he's made? Well, they're made in the image of God. They're, they're made in his likeness. Now, right away, I'm starting to find some excitement about that. There seems some permanency. To my identity. It's it, it's it's nailed to something. It's anchored to something. That doesn't change in my, if I'm this gender or that gender. Or if I'm this ethnicity or that ethnicity. It doesn't change from one culture to another. From one continent to another. From one age or era to another. No, it, it it's anchored to something permanent and eternal. Okay, so now I can kind of hopefully anchor who and what I, I am. So there's a... Uh, if I'm going to know more about me, I need to know more about him, right? If I want to know who I am, I look to the designer who made me. So we've got a divine plan, making humans. We've got a divine pattern, God himself. It says there, let us make man. Now, let, let, let's do this. Let's do a quick timeout. I'm going to leave the message for a second. You all with me? We're leaving the message. We'll be back in like three minutes. And we're going to talk about us. Let us make man in our image is that word us is that pointing to is it a reference to is it evidence of the trinity who's the us it sounds like there's a conversation who who is that okay now a lot of people will tell you hey that that's the trinity right there i'm going to disagree with that i did not say i don't believe in the trinity Okay, we, we we believe in the triune Godhead—God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit—here at the Heights. I'm just saying, "us" is not a reference to that. Uh, well, but maybe a little bit. Okay. Well, which is it? Okay. Well, let me explain. So, why I don't believe the word "us" is treating uh, is teaching us about the Trinity here. In in Genesis one, what you've got is really what I would call simple, elementary Hebrew going on right here. No Hebrew would understand, they would know exactly what's going on. So in the Hebrew language, anything that's big, anything that is majestic, anything that we can't get our arms around, comprehend, they only have that word in the plural. So an example would be like the sky. That's pretty big, isn't it? Or waters, looking out there at an ocean or all the waters of the earth. They have no singular version of those words. We do in English, right? I can say water, waters, sky, skies. They, they don't say water and sky. They just say waters and skies. And so in Hebrew, it sounds like this. Mayim is water. Shamayim is skies. Now, what sounded similar in those two words? You, you heard the im? So in Hebrew, that sound im is equivalent to our English S, that makes something plural. Okay, well, there's another word, and I imagine a lot of you know this and heard this. You may not have heard this explanation, but all through Genesis chapter 1, we have a, a name of God. It's a very generic name. It's not like Yahweh or or Jehovah or El Shaddai, but it's just a very generic name, God. And the word for that is Elohim. That's right, Em is plural right there. So if I was literally translating that word, in the beginning it says God, every one of your translations says that, and yet literally it would be in the beginning God's. Well, why why don't we put an S on that? Why don't we make it plural? Because of context. We all know that Genesis believes and promotes and teaches a monotheistic faith. We know the whole Bible teaches a monotheistic faith. We know the Hebrews said the Lord is one. Well, why does it put an S on it? Because God, like the sky, is huge. He's majestic. He is big. And they don't have singular versions for that. So nobody in Hebrew would have read that first verse and thought, are there multiple gods No, they they would have just known, no, you pluralize that because God's so big, all right? So no, that by itself is not necessarily referencing or pointing to a trinity. But then I said maybe a little bit. Well, God's sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he didn't just choose a people, he chose the language that they spoke in. I mean, think about it. Hebrew is the, how many languages are there? And Hebrew is the language, and later Greek and Aramaic, that he revealed himself through. So as he goes on in the Bible to reveal a God that is one, but in this triune Godhead, well, there's a grammar there that kind of matches that. So it it, it kind of comes back, oh, that kind of matches. By the way, while... While the uh, New Testament very clearly points us to the triune Godhead, with that knowledge and understanding, we can kind of come back into the old, and we go, oh, there it is, there it is, there it is, and we see the Trinity all over the place. Interestingly enough, one of the books that is most presenting of the Trinity is Genesis. We're literally going to see conversations between the Father and the son. So not only do I believe in the Trinity, not only do I believe the Bible is teaching that, I believe Genesis is teaching us that, just not with the word us. Does that make sense? Way more Hebrew grammar than you ever wanted. So let's we're we're done with that. Now we come back to the sermon. Okay? So God has a divine plan. Making humans, he has a divine pattern himself, he made us in his likeness, he made us in his image. Both of those words are normally going to be used with a real physical understanding, a feel, a real physical representation in other words i 've got kind of an original object or person, and then i 've got this thing over here that i 'm going to sculpt or paint that is going to be in the image of that in the likeness of that they 're going to look close right they 're going to be similar. Interestingly enough, when we talk about being made in the image of God, we're not talking about something physical. It's not, my, it's not my legs and my arms and my thumbs that mean I'm an image bearer, that I'm created in the image of God. It's not my eyes or my ears. It's not even my brain. Probably in my case especially, it's not my brain. Okay, It's not the physical aspects of me where God used a pattern to make me. No, it is it is being created in his image is that I'm in a I have a spiritual life. I'm a physical being, that's what we see in each other, physical beings, but we're spiritual beings as well. That's like God. The mountains and the trees are not made in the image of God. The animals are not made in the image of God. That's just you and me that have a soul that have this spiritual aspect of us. Of course, our moral and ethical sensitivities. That's that very simply. I I can make choices, but not just choices, right and wrong, good and evil. I can understand both of those concepts and then choose based on that. Then, then, of course, I have a conscience. Again, the mountain doesn't have a conscience, nor does the animal. W- we do. And then the big thing, I, ref- I can reflect God. In how I live and who I am, I can reflect who God is and what he's like. I'm, I'm his representative on this planet. I'm his representative in both a physical and a spiritual world. I can look like him. Folks, I don't just have an identity, but I've got a profound purpose with that identity. This week, my job is to reflect God. And the way he expresses that here is, I'm giving you dominion over everything. There's actually two things here. Have dominion and have babies. Like a God, you're going to rule, you're going to manage, and like a God, you're going you're to create. We'll talk about babies in a, li- in a little bit. But, but right here, I have dominion. I manage, okay? So how do I manage, oh, money, resources, the earth's resources? How do I manage relationships? How do I manage an understanding of a physical realm and a spiritual realm? Not only how do I manage these things, but how do I do it in a way that reflects God? Well... I go to this book right here. Right? It, it, see, I look in this book and I say, okay, here's who God is. Here's what he's like. Hey, look what he does in this situation. Look what he does in that situation. Look how he responds over here. And now I know, okay, well, that's what I need to do in this situation. That's how I need to respond. I've got one job this week. Reflect God. Yeah, I man, few, sure, a few people here right now are thinking, man, i got a lot to do this week. No, you don't. you got one thing. One, 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 one. You have one thing to do this week, and that's reflect God in all of that to-do list that you have to do. All of the good and wonderful relationships and maybe one of those that are less than good and wonderful. In, In everything, reflect God. Which means then, okay, I'm thinking about my identity Think about who I am. Okay, so the closer that I move to God, the closer that I move to his word, and I'm using the language of Genesis 1, then it appears that would be, I would be moving closer to life, to light, to purpose, to order. And if I begin to move away from God. If I begin to move away from his word, I I, want to try something else out. I want to go in another direction. I'm not not so quite sure I buy all this. Well, if I move away from God and his word, again, just using the language of Genesis 1, I'm now moving toward darkness. I'm now moving more toward chaos. I'm I'm now moving more toward death. So what do I want to do if I'm trying to find life and identity and purpose. I want to move toward the designer and I want to move toward his revelation. What what he's taught me about himself, what he's taught me about life. And I'm going to do that. And again, not a political statement. This is the language of Genesis one. I'm going to particularly specifically do that as either a, a male or a female, As a male created in his image. As a female created in his image. Folks, don't lose the fact this is on page one of the Bible. You know, because no other religion does this. No other non-religion does this. Do you realize from the very get-go, God is establishing the equality of a male and a female? Male and female, they equally carry, they equally bear my image. Male and female, they equally have dominion over the earth. God is, there's a reason that God's identifying here. Hey, there's a male, there's a female, and this is how it works in, in dominion and in, in bearing an image. Now, we'll read through the rest of the Bible. We'll f- find out that, hey, you know, men don't always treat women as equals. I don't know if you've ever heard that. And, and, and it's not just a Bible issue, it's, it's all over the world issue. It's a forever and always issue that we're battling this equality and, and, and sometimes just gender wars. I want you to notice right from the get-go, page one, God said, I made them, this is what I did, I, I made them equal. Equal in how they bear the image of me. Now, somewhere in here we got to say, well, why isn't that what we're all experiencing? Well, that's going to get to Genesis chapter 3. And that's where everything changes. That's where sin enters. And now my ability to enjoy that I've been made in the image of God, live out that I'm made in the image of God, is severely affected. It's not removed. I still have the image of God, but I'm a mess. You know why? Because now, instead of being driven by my designer and reflecting him, I'm now driven by myself and brokenness. But I can choose, hey, I gotta move closer to God and to his word. So there's just I I mean, there's we could dig deeper here. There's just a general understanding. Kind of sounds high, you know, philosophical, theological. We're talking about our identity and being made in the image of God. But what I want to do now is I want to take it all from up there and bring it down to a a very specific question that we're asking today and, and and dealing with today. And that that question would be this. Can I be a gay Christian? Can I be an LBGTQ Christian? Now, let me be clear about what the question is not. I'm not asking if a gay person can be a Christian or LBGTQ person can be a Christian. Because the answer is wonderfully yes, right? We need to all be praising God for that. There's no line that God draws. Everybody can come to me except you. Except somebody like that. There's no place where Jesus says, "Except No, all all are invited to Christ. All are invited to the living water and to to take from him. So we're not asking if a gay person can be a Christian. What we're asking is, can they claim both identities? And and that's a real question. It's, It's going on across our nation. It's going across... Obviously, that question is more often than not taking place in a, in a church setting. Hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm, I'm also this. Can I have, can I claim both identities? And those feelings that they have, those thoughts and ideas, they're very real. We don't, we don't do anybody any favor by dismissing those and pretending that's not real. And, and folks, don't we all have thoughts and feelings that don't necessarily represent our designer? This is where we all say yes. There should be no confusion here. Yeah, we all do this. We, we all absolutely have these things that we know, hey, I don't think that's God. Hey, I don't think that's the, the, the Bible. And, and, and so there, the, these thoughts and feelings are real And in some cases. That's, that's, how, that's the only way I know how to look at life. That's the only way I know how to understand myself. So is it okay to say I am a, I am a gay Christian? And when we answer this question, boy, folks, you, you, you know, we, we've got two sides of the church right now. We, we've got one side that wants to teach truth, right? And they want to hammer people with the truth, especially maybe people we don't really recognize or understand or identify with. And sometimes we use truth as a, well, like a hammer, right? And then you've got another side of the church just saying love. Man, love. And, and love ends up being Jesus just standing there with a smile. He has no standards. He has no thoughts. He's just, just happy that you'll look at him. You know, and that, that Jesus just accepts everybody, and we just have a very loose, it does nothing. By the way, that kind of love also does no justice. Many people fancy themselves as real lovers of justice. Folks, love and justice are two sides of the same coin. You don't have one without the other. And so you've got, okay, part of the church here says we accept everybody. And part of the church here that sounds like, no, we don't accept everybody. We hate some. And I would imagine a lot of us, well, I've never said I hate, but that's how we end up sounding. But what if there was this middle? What if there was, well, like how the Apostle John showed us Jesus, full of grace and truth? You know, not everybody, but a whole lot of people struggling with some of those identities in the LBGTQ. Man, those feelings are real. And they're trying to work through that. And I don't help them, love them, serve them by saying, no, God hates that. I don't help them by responding with anger or with disgust. But but I do need to respond with the truth, right? And so here's the question. Can I be a gay Christian? And the answer is no. And that's not because that's just what I've decided. That's the way I see it. That's what our denomination believes. Folks, it, it, the, the answer isn't what Randy thinks. It's not what our denomination thinks or what our particular church says. Just like when we're trying to understand God's love and our identity and everything else, we go back to God's Word. What does God's Word say on this? I'm glad you asked. Turn to First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 6 You'll find that about 90% of the way through your Bible, Uh, whether it be Acts and Romans before it, 2 Corinthians and Galatians after it. If you're thumbing through there or looking down your Bible app list, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. It says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me me stop right there. I'm going to say stop right there about 10 times what's the kingdom of God? It, we think of a place, right? It, it's heaven, and, and certainly it is. Hey, the unrighteous are not going to inherit this place, heaven. But is that all the kingdom of God is, an address, a, a, a geographical location? You know, when you look at how Jesus, all through the Gospels, uses the phrase kingdom of God, more often than not, he's not talking about a place. He's talking about a character quality, He's talking about there being a king, and that king being in my life, and my life reflecting that king's character. Hey, that sounds a lot like Genesis 1. I'm guessing Jesus knows that. Okay? So if I reject God's character, if I reject, if I rebel against his character, then I won't inherit the place that is representative of his character. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Boy, we need to be told that. That means you need to stop lying to yourself. You need to stop telling yourself that God's love means he doesn't care. God loves you so he doesn't care about anything. Well, you better hope God cares about some things. You need to stop lying to yourself that, that my friend can tell me, that society can tell me, that whatever I feel is truth. You, you, you need to stop telling yourself, hey, these things are okay, they don't matter. I think God got over all that, as if God was the problem. You need to stop lying to yourself. Neither the sexually immoral, now let me stop right there we're going to see another, a few more words kind of reflet, related to a sexual idea, which is interesting because you really don't need any more words after you say sexual immorality. In the Greek language, that word is pornea. It is a huge umbrella word. What do I mean by an umbrella word? Everything falls under pornea. Everything outside of one man and one woman inside of the covenant of marriage. Any kind of sexuality, sexual activity, sexual expression, outside of that would be sexual immorality. So you really don't need to say anything else after you've said that. But we're not done. There's more of a list here. And why this list? Because it's not exhaustive. Well, because Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He lived there for a number of years. He's gotten some letters from them. He knows some problems in the church. He knows what they're talking about. He knows what they're dealing with. And so while the list is actually larger than what's here, he's mentioning specific things he knows are in the congregational conversation. So he said, listen, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because all of these things, it's not just an action, all of these things are a character quality. And if this is the character quality you identify with, then you have chosen a contradiction of who I am. You have chosen a contradiction of the place I want to give you. And, and you have the freedom to do that, but there's a, there's a consequence if you reject who I am, if you reject the place that is representative of who I am, then that then, 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 there, there you go. You don't, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. You see, what go go back to Genesis 1. I am to reflect the character of God. These things are not my character. This is not my design. This is not my character. This is this is not who I am. And listen to this, verse 11, and such were some of you. That's a, that's a line you circle and underline, and then right next to it you say, praise God. Right? Hey, hey, we, we were these things, and, and other things like this, and such were some of you. But in contrast to your thoughts and feelings, in contrast to your actions, in contrast to rebellion, in contrast to ignorance, in, in a contradiction to all that, you were washed, You were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. By the way, there's two members of the Trinity working to rescue and save you. Hey, listen, that phrase, such were some of you. That was my identity. That was my thought life. That was my action. But I've been saved from that. I'm not that anymore so while and and now here's the truth right that that's a lot of us in here we say praise god i've been saved from that amen but you know what i I don't know about y'all i still have thoughts and feelings and sometimes the thoughts and feelings come out in actions that are more representative of what i was before the but right you know yeah i came to christ i love christ i trust christ i've been saved by christ Every now and then I have some thoughts and feelings and actions that look a whole lot like more the, before that, right? All right, it's, it's one thing to struggle, and struggles are real. Thoughts and feelings are real. They come from a lot of different places, and it's very hard not to shape myself by those things, direct myself from those things. But I've got to stop and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm not that person anymore, regardless of what's going on in me. The Bible says, God says, my designer says, you're not that anymore. Okay? So while I may still struggle with thoughts and feelings, I certainly don't want to claim the identity of what I was before, because then I would be reflecting something that was the old broken self, not the new saved self. And now we go all the way back to Genesis 1. And besides, my original purpose, my original identity is to reflect God. God has something so much bigger than than my my gender. Something so much bigger than my ethnicity. So much bigger than my sexuality. Are those things important? Oh my gosh, they're all in Genesis. They're absolutely important. But my identity is even bigger than that. I'm an image carrier. I'm an image bearer of God. You know, folks, to kind of finish, have a segue from today's message into next week's message. I, I think about being created in the image of God, being told there's something particularly male and female, and then be given these two big assignments, dominion and multiply. You know, it, as a man and a woman, only a man and a woman can do this, I, we can bring children into the world. Inside of a marriage, a man and a woman can do that. And we're not just bringing another creature onto the planet. Think of what we get to partner with God in doing. It's not just a child we bring. It is an image bearer of the Almighty. It's an image bearer of the living God that we partner with him bringing into this world. How awesome is that? And as awesome as it is, look at that statement right there, folks. Our nation is at war with that statement. The two biggest things going on in our nation, the two things that drive everything, the, the two things that will determine whether someone is elected or not elected, abortion and sexuality. Abortion and sexuality, both an attack Against that. No, I use words like war and attack, then that would seem to suggest that somebody that's involved with abortion or somebody that's involved with LBGT, that's our enemy, right? I mean, you on a war, you got this side and this side and the other side's the enemy. And but don't we know better than that? Doesn't the Bible tell, hey, your enemy's not flesh and blood? Your enemy's not that person that you're looking at. It's what? It's the spiritual forces of darkness behind that. Folks, I think I'm about to show you something really profound. This is where you hang on. Our enemy is Satan. And the full-on attack of Satan, starting in Genesis 3 and being played out in every headline in the paper and the news, the full-on attack of Satan is to take out Genesis 1 and 2. Take out marriage... Take out your identity, take out your sexuality, take out God as creator. And here's why Satan is doing it. because Satan's smart. He's not smart as God. He's not all-knowing, but I'll tell you something, he's smarter than you. And he's incredibly strategic. And when Satan takes out Genesis 1 and 2, guess what? The entire rest of the Bible is irrelevant. Look what Satan does. I'm going to attack the first page. You don't need to read the rest. Folks, God made you in His image. There's no value, there's no dignity, there's no purpose to discover that is higher or greater, more lofty, more purposeful for you than the image of God. And that image is going to be discovered and lived out in a particularly male way, in a particularly female way. And one of the best things I can do as a male is enjoy how the the image of God is lived out in a female and as a female, to enjoy how the image of God is lived out in a male. And you know what? In our sin and in our brokenness, we'll, we'll fight the design. We'll work against the design. We'll have some very strong thoughts and feelings. I'm not talking about a group. I'm talking about every one of us, Right? We'll have thoughts and feelings and actions and responses that fight that design. Well, what do I do? Because that feels so real and so strong. Well, it's almost a whole nother sermon now. And we're, we're done with the sermon. I can't start. out. But can I give you one verse? 2 Corinthians 10.5 Take every thought. Take every thought. Take every feeling. Take all those urges that are so strong inside you. Take every one of those captive. Capture it. Capture that thought and take it to obey Christ. Who's he? He's the one who made you, the one who loves you, the one who gave himself up for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for so much clarity, so much goodness in who you are, in how you made me, how you made us. God, you give identity and purpose that works for every person everywhere at every time. Your way is awesome. And yet, Lord, in our sin, in my sin, my selfishness, I I fight that in so many ways. And so then you sent your son. You, You not only made me in your image, but then you sent your son to restore that image. To give me an ability, an opportunity to enjoy that I've been made in the image of God. To live out that image. To reflect you in everything that I'm doing. That's all by your goodness. It's all by your power. It's all by your wisdom. And God, we just want to stop and thank you for that. And Lord, I pray we would all see this week, not in hate and anger, not in a war, the opportunity we have to reflect you to reflect you, your glory, your goodness, your wisdom, your answers. God, you raise a standard of living for us that is so important and it's not dependent on whether I'm having a good day or a bad day. It works in both. Oh, may I lay hold of who you are and what you've given me by making me in your image. God, thank you for your word. May we continually go back to it for every question that's being asked, every question that we're asking. And God, I pray we, we trust you. We believe on you. We need your help in that. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. students. his name we pray, amen.